Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. Here we go. Once again, it is mighty cold here in the humble Freezing. podcast studio. Literally. Here at uh in the bowels of the gamekeeper building. Mm. Mm-hmm. There you go. a better term. And, yeah, and I, I thought we got him away from saying that. I, wow. I hadn't said it in a, in a long time. Yeah, yeah. It just it, it feels like it today. It's so cold. You hadn't been there. in the studio in a week or two, so Richie plays that music there. to your comments so often, it should be your theme song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mr. Haney. I, I, I need to come up with one for him, for sure. So uh, I'm looking around the table. Dudley, you look like you are just fired up, excited. I'm fired up and excited. The, I like that what hat, can I though. say? The cool. duck man has returned. Oh, yeah. yeah. How was that? I had a great time. Nice. Uh, went to Arkansas with Rob and hunted uh, with some of his buddies who quickly became – Instant old friends with me. Oh, look at that. And uh, we had a blast. We went to hole-in-the-wall burger joints and killed ducks and cooked the out. Word, word on the street is, is you shot lights out. Yeah. I shot great. Just so, yeah, wow, he even admits it. Everybody get it on there. <laughs> Dudley, Dudley. So, hey, so, so Dudley's the, great, hey. Walk softly. Yeah. Talk softly. Carry a big stick. The la- walk softly. True. Talk softly. The last time I went hunting with Bobby was the, some of the worst shooting I've ever done. So mm-hmm. I, I may have just jinxed myself to go right back to that. Well, some people bring out the best in you. Some it, don't. That's true. Well, the last few springs, you you know, have had some little bit of troubles, and it's good to see you coming into this spring with a strong performance in the fall. I don't know what it is, but I, I think a lot of people can identify with this. When you have time to think about the shot, it's uh, really easy to miss. But when you're taking these quick, jerky reflex shots, you know, yeah, yeah you're right. No I'm doubt really good at that. Good. But, oh, the longer you have to think about it, so you, that loss should, of blood oxygen will affect your shooting. So right. I'm, I'm really I'm hit or miss. I'm, yep. I'm rarely average. When so it maybe comes you to should shotgunning. Try to start shooting the turkeys on the wing. Maybe you should flush them. Yeah, no. flush them and, and then shoot, shoot them. <laughs> no. No. no, no, no. Bad idea. <laughs> well, we're glad you had a good time, Dudley. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. good. Look at Bobby. He's. I'm so glad for you, Dudley. He's green in there. And uh, feathers. He's Is fine unless it's feathers. You know, he gets he gets feather envy. I, 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 we have, too. We have so envy. many guests in here that I'm envious of. I mean, you think about the last couple of guests that have been here. Envy. What are those seven deadly sins? It, it, envy it is. is the first and, one. And I'm having to work on it. He's okay. not that. <laughs> I am really having to work on it. This, Feather uh, envy. This uh, Caroline Winters. Oh, I knew you were going to bring that up. He can't stand it. Bobby can't. <laughs> it's yeah. just a 190. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you know they've been the romance takes over. They've been wearing the ducks out too the last week. I heard about just that. saying yeah. that, yeah. just wearing them out. Just buddy. saying. So, Tiger, I'm looking at you. you you've uh, hadn't seen you since well last week, you've, but you've been kind of missing for a week. I wanted to uh, ask you about your your guiding recently. Look like you've been spot on. My guiding, that would be my gamekeeping, not my guiding. Yeah, he's- uh, that's right. But uh, <clears throat> several of your guests have done well. They, they have. They did. And we had a chance to go. I actually went four times during the holidays. No luck. I did draw back and one. It's crazy how spooky they are, but my clothing must have made some noise or something. But that was, I almost got a shot. So mm, That's frustrating. Andy killed a really nice deer. That's a real nice Daniel deer. Daniel killed a really nice deer, both yep. of them with their bows. Great. Yeah, and awesome. granddaughter. Oh, heavy, yeah. Heavy yeah. on the board. Killed a, Pig. So that was fun. Yeah, Vandy's taxidermy bill went yep. up that week. We did. Pig <laughs> as in big buck. Big buck. buck. Yeah, big nice buck, but nice buck. Nice yeah, it was buck. a big body deer too. Mm-hmm. It was one of the huge yeah. horns. But I mean she just got, that That's, smile is the Now it's fixing to say there's nothing like that. That smile. smile. It's a hundred. Yeah, and then we had some guests in from music friends of ours and they had a great hunt too. So Yeah. Pretty productive couple of weeks. Busy and productive. Yeah. We might as well refer to this. Let this be the the blood on the biologic segment by, brought to you by LS. What has anybody got anything else? I honestly I'm not seeing a whole lot. I yeah, think, I hadn't I heard of a lot are, lately myself. So cold. You know, but I'm not in the mix. Uh deer is you kind know, of winding much. down. Brandon Bolton killed a good buck. Sure did. Yeah. One of the local guys here. Yeah. Kind of late Late rut, uh, but deer's still chasing. Yeah, um, foods, foods. Up. Yeah, they're piling back in the, in the our, field. Our brother Ken Ivy got a good. Oh, Ken did. Ivy did kill a yeah. good deer. Said it was a fun woods hunt. You know. Yeah. 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 I don't think I'm. Maybe I hadn't talked about. Have I talked about Hayden's buck yet? Oh well, no, I don't. Wouldn't hurt if you did. Yeah, wouldn't so. hurt if I did. Yeah. yeah, Hayden killed a good buck. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. It seems yeah. like you rattled it in. If I'm not mistaken, they don't give away all my secrets. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not a secret. I mean, rattling is not a. It's, not it's a technique. Who, yeah. So let, let's. How many deer our, have you rattled in? Uh, no. How uh, many deer have I rattled in? A bunch. A whole lot. Yeah, well, I, 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 don't, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I should take you one day. Yes, you should. I'd like to go mm-hmm. see it. You know the key I've learned: the secret to rattling. Absolutely. Try it. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> it's like if you hadn't tried it, you're gonna not. I, you're never gonna kill one. I that can way. tell you, it's it's primarily people use it in the Midwest and other places, but it works. There's a couple of days around in the South that it works really well. I, I will just say he, as far as my memory serves me, I recall him rattling up more in this part of the world here and in Alabama than yeah. anybody, any of the rest of us. Yeah. But he tries it a lot too. I do, I do not I, rattle a I, lot. I, I don't. I, if I'm on the ground, I've got my horns with me. So look, let, let's let's introduce our guest yeah, and get him in the conversation right. as yep. well. So, uh, joining us through the magic of Zoom is Sean, and I'm. Go- I hope I don't mispronounce this. Lumsden. All right, that sounds correct. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Nailed it. Thanks, guys. Yes, Happy sir. To be here. And Sean is from Georgia. He's got a. A, a farm over there. They it's it's called the Flint River Plantation, if I'm not mistaken. I've been following this guy on Instagram for a long time, and he talk about a gamekeeper. Yeah. So look, before we go into all that, Sean, have you any experience over in Georgia rattling? Yeah. So we rattle a little bit uh, more. You know, in late October during the pre-rut, it seems to work decent. But honestly. Uh, it's never, it's, we've never rattled in a, a five-year-old plus. Uh, mm. Typically it's, 
your two and three year olds. Um, it's fun. It's exciting. But um, I personally don't have a lot of experience. He needs a bigger set of horns. When I mean, you get the big ones in, you got to oh, sound whatever, like the big boy. Whatever. We'll send Lanny over there and let him rattle for Mr. you. Mr. He, he used that to jump in there, and, and now it's all gone to his head. I should have never bragged on him. I knew it. I knew it when I said it. Okay, I'll, I'll regress. <laughs> oh, I, hey, the, Mac, what about you? Have you got any blood on the biologic or anybody we need to give a shout-out to? Now, I, I did get a really cool picture from uh, a guy that plants a lot of biologic down in South Alabama, and he sent me that his 80-year-old father-in-law shot this really nice deer with a longbow that he made and wow. arrows that he made, and his name was Stormy Smellmeyer. Smellmeyer. In Macon wow. County. Made Alabama. his own bow, his own arrows, and... Went and stopped him one. Macon County's not far from your old stopping ground. No, I know. I know all about Macon County. That's what I thought. Well, it's a it's a great. What wildlife. a shout out to I mean, him! That any any deer with a piece of equipment like that is a trophy. Unbelievable. And then he was eighty years old. Eighty years old. You 80, did that, didn't you? Didn't you make young. a bow yep. and kill a deer with it? I've, I've never made my arrows. Oh, but you made a bow. Your bow, you did though, right? I have never killed a deer with a bow I've made. I've, I have made. A you bow. attempted to kill one, okay? No, I I carry a recurve and a longbow. I I wow. I'm not really ready to try to kill a deer with a bow I made. Yet. I'm sorry. I think I guess I no. Got that wrong. Mark that time code, Richie. <laughs> All right, let, let's 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 look at Sean here for a second. Sean, you've uh. Tell us a little bit about the Flint River Plantation, and uh, uh, I, we're going to start with some questions, but I want to learn a little bit about it first. Yeah, I want to hear some history. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, my great, 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 great grandfather uh, purchased the first tracks back in 1853. Wow. Wow. And that, <laughs> That's awesome. That makes my son, Julian, uh, the seventh generation. Wow. And... Over the years, we uh, we keep adding on to it when we can, uh, preferably contiguous tracks, and uh, we just have a passion for uh, wildlife habitat management and, and hunting and fishing and all things outdoors. Well, it's a beautiful property. The photos that you guys take, and looks like y'all work on trying to manage your does, you, your food plot. It looks like y'all do everything, you do it right. We do uh, any time of the year that uh, we need to we need to um, have a project going on or uh, implement some practices. We do it. We have a timeline that we use, uh, and it's it's almost our it's our habitat bible. And mm. uh, every the beginning of every month, we make sure that uh, we get a game plan together for the month and uh, and just execute. And it it seems to be working. Wow. It looks like it is. That's, I'm looking at this instrument. Absolutely. Of That's a place. good plan. I'm I'm sure you guys have a really long-term plan, but but having a monthly checklist, uh it sounds so you guys kind of meet every month or so and and discuss what what needs to be done that month and have some check boxes and you 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 check them off. Yeah, and it's just uh it's just a family farm. Uh it's my father. Uh we have two employees. Uh we have a farm manager, James, and uh, Bill was our farm manager before him that still still works uh, part time. And uh, my brother helps out. And we're just uh, we you know, we work up in Atlanta uh, for a fire protection company uh, during the week. So we really just have the weekends. And my father just uh, retired about two years ago. So he's been able to be down there full time. And that has made a, an incredible difference. 
That, uh, man after my own heart. Though. Yeah, what a legacy. 1853. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Seven generations. Yeah. And to keep it all together. Yeah. And, that's and, hard to find. And it sounds like he doesn't want all the land in the world, just that that's touching him. Isn't right? that how it is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sean, you're supposed to smile at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad has a saying, if there's a track 10 minutes down the road, it may as well be in Europe. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah. How about that? It, well. it makes it a lot easier when it's when it's touching. Yeah. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. Easier to manage. No question. It's Keep worth. Up, you know. It's worth the premium if you've already had home base. It's worth the premium. I've learned that over the years. So if wow. it's touching you, it does make a big difference. Yeah. When the price is right, we 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 yes. snag it if we can, and it's not always that we can. But uh, fortunately, we have neighbors that know what we do and uh, what our passions are, and. Uh, keeping wild places wild as we have uh, much of this land in conservation easements. And mm, that's uh, awesome. we, for, for most people and definitely our neighbors, where we they definitely give us the right of first refusal every time. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. You know, we've had a lot of people on in the last six or eight months. And it's such a great story, what he just talked about too, was how, I mean, I guarantee you on top of all the things he's talked about, the the neighbors appreciating what they do and cooperating with them Add so commensurately to the whole area. And how many people have we had on? It's just honestly, refreshingly surprising to me, actually, that, you know, we've had so many people where the neighbors work together, the neighbors are proud when they kill a deer. Very refreshing to see. And honestly, it makes such a big difference in the net result of all your work. Very cool. Yeah. Yes, um, Chamberlain talks about that. Everybody yes. buying in on the program. You know? Yeah, on yeah. a hunting club. That's right. I mean, the last place you expect people to be, you know, getting along that great. Right. I thought it's just so refreshing to hear those things, it is, those stories. It is. Cooperation. So, look, uh, Sean, let me ask the first question. One of the things that we want, I want to make sure we talk about, lead with, is uh, shed hunting. And this time of the year, you know, our our deer here, so we still we're still hunting. Our deer still have antlers. Oh, yeah, but, man. But I'm hearing stories already. A guy told me this morning about killing a deer in late December, a 163 inch deer. The guy's name was Chase Herndon. Shot this deer with a bow, and he gets down to blood trail the deer, and there's one antler. Goes a little bit further, following the blood trail. There's the second antler. Keeps following the blood, and there's the deer. Wow. Yeah. But got to so, be something wrong, though. Well, he said that it that was a little early. What this, state? This was in West Virginia. Oh, but, okay, but yeah, they, that's uh, different. But maybe. they uh, but they start toward the end of December. We see deer shedding. all the time with both sides in uh, March. In, yeah, turkey season. Sometimes yeah. Yeah. up to the first of April, yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. seen both sides. Not necessarily, you know, big heavy antlers, but I have seen, you know, whatever average eight point. Rocks yeah, a rag buck, no doubt in March in Alabama, not here. So, Sean, do you guys have like a a, a a plan up to look for shed, something that works for you guys over in that part of the world. In the South, it's just it's harder for us to find them. You know, you hear Mark and it is harder to find uh, guys them in the South. Up I mean, in Missouri and Iowa, they they find every shed on the farm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we do. Uh, we, you know, Bobby, I think it's uh, you know the first uh, most important aspect of it is timing. You don't want to you don't want to look too soon because you don't want to push those bucks uh, off. A, your property, or B, out of their comfort zone. Great point. Um, And you also don't want to wait too long because green up always gets here about twice as fast as I always expect it to. And then in certain areas, you have rodents, especially squirrels. They'll chew them up pretty quickly. Fortunately, 
Uh, we don't have that problem. It usually takes those squirrels a, a few months to get to ours, but timing timing is crucial. Doctor, do you find a lot of sheds, or are you finding them when you're turkey hunting? You know, I do run across them, but it's always like at food sources where you run across them, especially, you know, where, you know, they late winter green fields. We've got some pretty big ones around here, like, you know, the one oh, yeah. the Mississippi field up there is so big. I, I find them. Yeah, and I find, fortunately, I find them in tractor tires, and, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's not the way to find your sheds. Yeah. Uh, turned up, but I do, I, and I don't necessarily go looking for them. I tell you when else I find them. Uh, we don't have a really bad problem with them getting eaten up by rodents either. Uh, in fact, we find sheds that are several years old still that hadn't even been eaten on, maybe a little. But I find a lot of the previous years when we burn, actually, mm-hmm. is probably when we find more than anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're just covering more ground, and actually right behind the burn exposes them, you know. Yeah, really they're well. shining. Yep. It's just so thick in the south, you yes, know. Yes. Uh, in, in the Midwest, you have a lot of little woodlots and pockets of cover and – Oftentimes, that's really not too thick compared to what we have down here. Yep. Um, and I'm I'm kind of like Toxie. I, I'm glancing around for them a little bit during turkey season and checking uh, big openings and, you know, like clover patches mm-hmm. and things like that around a feeder. But I don't do a whole lot of just trekking, looking specifically for antlers. I'm, I'm usually burning and stuff at that time of the year. Sure. But I'm, I'm looking for them while I'm burning, you yep. know. So, Sean, do you do you walk the bedding areas looking for them? So we do walk bedding areas. Um, the the first places and uh, the places where we find them the most are green fields, and that's easy. Uh, that doesn't take a rocket scientist. Uh, but what I also do is I travel to these green fields first, yep. and I I step off the edges um, maybe ten twenty yards. It depends on visibility. Um, for the vegetation. I want to be able to see the edge of the green field. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's right there. And sometimes you, you, you can get away with 30, 40 yards. And I circle those green fields one time. And typically I pick up one or two. Um, if we're talking uh, early March is peak antler drop for us. And then I'll circle them a second time. And when I circle them the second time, I pay attention to the trails uh, leading to and from the food plot. And I walk down each trail, um, ultimately, as far as I can go. And I make sure to look eight to 10 feet off each side of it, because you'd be surprised at when deer shed their antlers, you'd be surprised when they shake their head how far they can fly. Hmm. And uh, I find quite a few that are not right on the trail, uh, like I used to uh, find when I was a kid, and I would only find a few of them. I find most of them about six to 10 feet off the trail. And uh, when I when I walk back, I just pick up that circle again, and I hit the next trail and uh, so on and so forth. Have y'all ever looked like at creek crossings, if a deer's got a jump? Mm-hmm. That's, that's another good place yeah. to try to find them. But he made a good point, just skirting the fields and, and doing some zigzagging uh, on that edge where, a you know, a deer may go there and lay down for a couple hours and just sit there and look around before they get up and go into the field. And uh, that may be where, you know, where you're going to find it. Yeah, you know, those big bucks, uh, when you guys watch them uh, right before they come into a green field, uh, they'll stand out there for up to 20, 30 mm-hmm. minutes sometimes. And they do the same thing in the wintertime, not necessarily just during hunting season. Um, and then, you know, we can use our own X hunt app 
and really know where we've been, you know, yep. do some yeah, zigzagging and tricking. like, you know, following those trails and then you can jump over and find another trail and go down. So, yeah. That tracking feature on Onyx is awesome. It, it, it certainly is. And I tell you what, if you've got a, we're kind of getting off the subject just a little bit here, but on that tracking that. feature, mm-hmm. uh, you know, recently I lost a pig, Lanny, but I was able to use that tracking feature to see where I'd been. At, in, anyway, I, I really liked it yeah, for that. to see him. No doubt yeah. about it. Your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the big eight last year. You've ran a fire, dissed the fields, got stuck, got unstuck, planted food plots, fertilized, and prayed for rain. You moved trees, limbed roads, even bought one of those fancy cell cameras. So what's your excuse? LS Tractor. This is Lanny at the Gamekeepers of Mossy Oak. I've been shooting Nosler bullets as long as I've been wearing Mossy Oak. Nosler ballistic tip ammunition is made for knocking deer down right where they stand. Nosler's famous ballistic tip bullet is the key. It has controlled expansion and bone-crushing punch to turn a whitetail's lights out. Bring home more deer this year with ballistic tip ammunition from Nosler. Buy now at Nosler.com. Hey, have you noticed... Um that the bigger or the I guess the bigger the older deer the and the heavier antlers tend to drop them closer together that you're able to find a match set but easier on the I don't know if that's a wife's tale or not but it's I thought always my theory was like you know when a heavy antler deer loses one side and he's all of a sudden out of balance for a little bit it may throw the other one off sooner but I don't know if you've noticed that or not hmm. yes sir I've de- I've definitely noticed that and uh, for some reason our our bigger deer, especially our older deer with bigger antlers, they tend to drop later. Hmm. Um, I don't know what it is. It's something that uh, we've noticed wow. over the years. Wow. Um, Do you find a lot of match know, sets? Uh, we find uh, anywhere from six to eight a year. So not that many. Um, and then, you know, in terms of uh, shed antlers, we find anywhere from 40 to 70 uh, a wow. year. And that's mainly just during those six weeks from February 15th is about where I start. And I end uh, right there as turkey season's coming in because let's be honest, I'd, I'd rather turkey It's hunt. time to turkey hunt. That's right. <laughs> I've been watching Bobby's wheels turn this whole time. And he never brought it up, but he was going to offer to help if you look for him in April. Any time. He was probably <laughs> yeah. going to offer He's that He's such up. a good guy. But you got to yeah, watch him. Way. He'll sneak in on you. You know, I, would. I mean, yeah, shed hunting and turkey scouting is kind of one and the same. You know, it's Can it's, be. That, it's that time of year where you need to be looking for both, really. It's pretty so interesting though how these animals drop their antlers and and it just starts all over again. It does. And within within really about eight months, they're growing a hundred inches. I mean in your case, a hundred inches. I mean, yeah, yeah, at least. <laughs> also it also points out it's not on the necessarily the topic Hundreds. of finding sheds, but that long time ago, a wise biologist reminded us when we're talking about the nutritional needs of these whitetail, especially bucks. Yeah. And um, he was saying, so if you had to cut your knees, your legs off below your knees every year and grow, back, grow that back, <laughs> that, you know, how much extra phosphorus and calcium, you know, that you would have to have in your diet yeah, than the they- average animal. Then you think about also, we talked about the amount of calories that a, 
a nursing yeah. mom, yeah. you know, has Doe to has too. So you just think about the inordinate needs they have for that extra calcium and phosphorus in their diet uh, to grow that back every year. And it's just, you know, that exhibits it when you find these, especially these bigger deer that have to grow it back. It's amazing. It, it didn't, uh, didn't Bronson tell us they actually kind of go into osteoporosis when they're growing those horns? It wouldn't something surprise, wouldn't something surprise like me. That. It was something yeah. like that. Pretty yeah, crazy. Uh, uh, th- I can't remember. Right? We we need we should revisit. Yeah, that, we need to revisit that, 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 that one, Because yeah. I will butcher that up real bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so Sean, uh, obviously you you I mean if you're finding that many sheds, y'all are doing something right. But it so on the back and back up during the hunting season, how many on on uh, y'all's property? How many does are y'all trying to kill? And when are y'all trying to get y'all's harvest done? Oh, doe harvest, man. We uh Work. we take a doe any opportunity we possibly can. That's my man. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if it's opening day or the last day of the season. Uh I killed my first one this year at 12 yards with a bow on opening afternoon and I killed my last one uh the last day that I could hunt uh which was last Saturday or maybe two Saturdays or two Saturdays ago and uh and Killed her in the last 10 minutes of, of my season. So any chance that. we can, uh, at any time we can, unless there's a target buck that I'm specifically hunting in that immediate area, uh, we're taking does as much as we can. Yeah. Y'all running a lot of cameras? I have 10 Spartan cell cams that I run. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have to take around um, – Around this year was 137 does hmm. uh, for our minimum. Wow, um, and that's why. And and we hit we we got to 130, so we were just shy. But I believe that equates to 95. percent So that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's a really, lot of work. Really good. A yeah. lot of work from people that know what you're talking about. It's Ooh, a, lot that's a lot of work. That's a lot of healthy meals. That is. Yep. None of that would be possible if it wasn't for DMAP. Mm-hmm. And uh, that has become a program that we subscribe to, and uh, we just we I don't know we definitely couldn't couldn't manage for that quality if it wasn't for DMAP. Uh, I'm I'm really thankful that we got into that program, and we've only been in it for three years now. So well, the the wow. data you collect is invaluable. Uh, you know, all those numbers just come right back to you, and you can look at those numbers and base your management decisions for the next year from from the year before but it's it's really cool to see you know the dough weights go up and and things like that as as you improve uh, i mean you're you're improving the population which in turn improves the habitat because they're not eating themselves out of house and home anymore and to your point dudley uh we have a wma that borders our whole northern uh property boundary and I'm good friends with the manager on that WMA, and we chat at least once a month, uh, mainly um, in regards to pig removal. But uh, our average doe weights um, on our managed property, uh, extensively managed, I may say, uh, are 14 pounds heavier on average across all age classes. Wow. Compared to the WMA next door? Compared to the WMA next door. Wow. And there's only, you know, nothing against that WMA. Absolutely not at all. Um, but it's it, it's just him by himself that's managing it. He gets a little help here and there, but it's a 7,500 acre WMA. And mm. man, to be able to manage for uh, 7,500 acres, that's 
that's tough for one man to do. It's probably good you're so aggressive on your harvest too, because I'm sure they move from there to yeah. you. As you harvest a lot and you have more food, they're going to migrate. We it's like we see places here that are just we're seeing a crazy amount of deer right now. But I'm also feeding. You know, those I talked about it earlier where I find sheds. It's a huge field that we plant. And this time of year, it's kind of the only food in the whole area. So there's, I bet there's three times the number of deer on that property right now. It's not a huge place, but it's probably three times as many deer right now as they say the summertime or normally. Mm-hmm. And the food brings them in. I'm sure you you deal with that and have to over-harvest almost to keep your place in balance, you know? Absolutely. Uh, we, we work with a biologist, uh, that, you know, for DMAP, uh, for, for folks listening that don't quite know how it works. Um, the way that we went about it is we signed up through uh, the state agency and we hired a whitetail wildlife biologist to work with us. And he did a survey. Uh, it's usually conducted, uh, late August, uh, to early September. It's a, we use the 14 day baiting method. And, um, you know, after the survey is complete, he, he crunches all the numbers and he provides a detailed summary report uh, that shows our estimated sex ratio, our estimated uh, density, our estimated buck age distribution. And uh, he then makes a harvest prescription uh, that is justified that we then send to the Georgia DNR. And then they write us our prescription and give us the tags necessary, and we we get to work right away. That's so impressive. Yeah, it, yeah, it really uh, is. It's interesting. Like any public land around here, you don't have the problem with too many deer, um, and so I'm not sure how that is near you, but um, I would I would imagine that uh, public land near you is pro- is not overpopulated. Am I wrong? I mean, do you think it's more of a habitat thing that's making those deer way less than you? Or do you think it's like a population carrying capacity deal? Yeah, that's a great question, Dudley. Uh, I, I like to think and tell myself that it's due to our management practices. So your uh, your habitat manipulation. Absolutely. And yeah, so so. So the biggest things that we do is we 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 stay on top of our timber stand improvement and we keep we keep those canopies opened up so that we can allow that sunlight to hit the the ground uh, first and foremost and then we manage it with prescribed burns uh, rotational every two to four years depending on vegetation and uh, growth then um, that's you know that's uh, that's those are the two main things we do. And, and when we, when we get to the point of where we can't do much else, when it comes to TSI and prescribed burning, uh, then we come in with supplemental protein, uh, in food plots. And we've been, uh, planting some summer clover plots. Uh, we planted the non-typical it's been coming up great. Nice. And, uh, my so, fave, my fave. <laughs> yeah. So, so those three things have helped and, uh, many other practices that we do, but those those I like to think are the are the top, and then to Toxie's point, uh, you know, taking mouths off the landscape. That's you know you got to have that top quality forage uh, for your your bigger deer and uh, as much of it as they can eat for sure. So- it reminds me a lot about the you know, and especially smaller ponds and bass management is that if you 
mess around and let it get out of whack too far, it's almost impossible to bring it back in. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they stay on, they're so disciplined, they stay on top of it, it's probably making a huge difference. Yeah. You know. What what does an adult doe weigh over there, Sean? Well, it depends on age class, but uh, our average, uh, say say uh, two and a half year old, uh, she's going to weigh around ninety pounds, give or take five pounds. Um, our three and a half year olds are going to weigh in the one one hundred two to one hundred seven range. Um, four, I want to say, I want to say one one eighteen, one twenty, and then our bigger deer. Um, which could be your, you know, your four-year-olds. Uh, they're going to weigh up. I killed a, I killed a one forty point one this year, which was my biggest doe in probably five years. We just, we simply don't get does that big around us very often. That's a burger yeah. baby there, now. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. Mac, have you got a question? Yeah. I do. Uh, so we recently uh, got in with the DMAP program, and I this this seemed like a con confrontational uh suggestion from a biologist and i was curious if you had heard of this before sean so they recommended so just say that this property is around a thousand acres they recommended that we kill three spikes that are two inches or less have, have y'all heard of that i mean has anybody heard that before just three on a thousand acres that seems pretty insignificant and then how many does the doe number would be 20 yeah. So 20 does, three spikes, and then we had a you know list of shooter older bucks. Uh, I just had never heard that about spikes and didn't know if anybody else had before. No, Mac, I haven't. I have not. I'm I'm assuming that they're wanting you to shoot, you know, the younger of the spikes. You know, if if they're saying two inches or less, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's that spike that was probably born to a late bred fawn from the year before, mm -hmm. most likely. And they're you know they're just probably thinking there. There's a study uh, where, you know these these bucks that came from a, a late bred fawn, it more often than not takes them another year or two mm -hmm. to reach that full antler size compared to a fawn that was born, you know, from a, from a doe that was bred during the original, you know, rut. Uh, but to me, it's just, you know, just shoot a doe, let, you know, let the bucks That's get right. older. Well, you're going, if you're going to kill 20 does, unless you've got really experienced people like he is, you're probably going to kill three button bucks. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. by mistake, depends on who you have shooting. And, you know, you, you especially if you have guests, they just get excited. I mean, mm -hmm. it happens. It so happens. You're probably going to get a couple through osmosis that you didn't. Yeah. So and they I, were saying that it was a sign of not enough nutrition that the spikes, see, the, their example was these aren't button bucks. They're one and a half year old spikes and they said that this will allow for more deer to come more bucks to come into the population than the standing lot of does and inferior bucks we asked bronson specifically about this and he said when you're trying to reduce your deer density a number one mature does primary target number two younger does then number three if you have to harvest you want to harvest those type of bucks yeah, I think that's right. That's exactly what he said. What he said. Yeah, yeah. What he said. and he was familiar with the study. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. of going on because that's what our MDWFP is doing some recommendations about that this year. Sure is talking to William McKinley. Um, he was explaining that our our deer density in Mississippi is still at an all time high, and to increase quality of uh, the deer herd and reduce uh, 
uh, possibility of disease transmission, we need to get as many out of the herd as possible. Yeah. We need to shoot deer over here, Sean. Yeah, we do. Come on over. You sound like you're pretty good at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our work. season's still in. I think he's got his work cut out <laughs> yeah. for him at Flint yep. River Plantation. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Mac, you know, I think that you could get ahead of that to where, you know, if you take mouths off the landscape, um, what it is theoretically going to do is it's going to reduce the need for bucks to breed in a secondary rut. Right. And those right. fawns that are born later into the year are the ones that are going to be uh, subject to malnourishment. Uh, they're going to be subject to um, higher uh, uh, mortality rates. And uh, around here, we don't, even though it's fun to go after bucks that are um, coming back into into rut uh, with those those estrus does that are coming back in. Even though it's fun to hunt them, uh, we don't we don't really like to see that. Uh, we like for all does to get bred during the primary rut, if if any way possible. Hmm, that that is interesting. So you mentioned earlier about pigs. Have y'all got a Have y'all got a lot of wild pigs over there? You know we don't at all. Uh, every time they get on our property, we go and uh, we catch them right away. Good for you. That's smart. So do that, does that WMA have some pigs? Much, much worse of a problem than we do. Wow. I'm, yeah. I'm seeing that and hearing that a lot, that our, our public lands uh, are becoming more and more infested with pigs. And uh, we need to try to be more vocal about uh, trying to find a solution to that problem. Uh, seems like a lot of us private landowners are doing a great job at it. Uh, I, I cannot applaud you enough for like staying on top of that one, probably more than anything, because first get them, that is the time to jump on it. And you can actually make a difference once they're so, I mean, I don't know what the word is. We're invested with them and it's just, it's almost impossible to make a big dent at that point, they can reproduce so fast. The only thing saves us is that they do move. You know, there's no, they don't really have a home. So they'll consume everything and then move on to another area. You know, they kind of migrate to the farmland stuff, you know, in late summer. And then, you know, they go to the big hardwoods in the winter. Yeah. But we had man, the, stay on top of them. Had the hog eye guys uh, in, what, last week? Yeah. Uh, and, and they said if you had 20 pigs on your property, uh, in ten in ten years, yeah, Lanny's rain toxic. Lanny is rain man over oh, here. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, just because I know how to do some basic math. <laughs> All you gotta do is listen. To, <laughs> All you gotta do is listen to somebody else and quote them. Yeah, he said uh, that in ten years that would be one thousand one hundred fifty three pigs. I think that's what it was. I think it was eighty one thousand and eighty three. One thousand whatever. It's close enough. The it's number, a bunch of pigs. The number I'd years. always heard was two. Right now, two of you know sexually mature hogs which i think is only like six to nine months but two can become 500 in five years that'd be right that's about that's, that's the same growth rate yep wow now that's who knows that's yeah. what i've heard so. yeah so we're it's so, a big number and it gets it spins out of control fast so staying on top of them like that the other thing that's smart too is that you know they can get trapped shy if you do it so much and you're getting them when they first show up before that that happens that's also very smart so let's circle back to Dudley's comment about pigs on public land. Is that because there's limited access it, and, and, you know, hunts um, are only on drawn days or something? What's going on in your mind there? You know, uh, there's there's obviously a lot of people hunting there, but they, they the pigs still figure out, you know, how to how to find those areas. Like there's a lot of no hunting zones uh, that they can retreat to um, that, that may be more for, you know, the folks that 
aren't hunters that are going to come look at birds and uh, things like that, students. A lot of those are no hunting areas, and, and I walk through those a lot during the summer, um, and you just see pigs everywhere. Um, but just little things like that, it, it just adds up, um, and they're, they're taking over. It's, yeah. it's, uh, and I, I don't think, you know, their budgets, I don't think their budgets can handle, you know, it's, it's expensive to try to a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of work. Sean, last week we declared war on the pigs and we're working with big pig traps, big pig traps, hog eye cameras. And uh, we're going to teach people how that they've got stuff for whether you're, you know, uh, like yourself that might need a trap that's up in the air that would drop or just build a panel trap with an electronic gate. They've got something for all budgets. We'll be talking about that more or less, but you, you'll probably be interested in paying attention to that. Moultrie was first in feeders since 1979 and is the leader in total game management. They're taking feeding to another level with the new Ranch Series line of durable and versatile feeders, perfect for both wildlife and domestic livestock. So, Dudley, you can feed your goats. Whether you're a deer hunter, a hobby farmer, a land manager, or a rancher, Moultrie has you covered with several kit options, including a rotating auger, broadcast, or a gravity kit. And these feeders are 300 or 450 pounds. They're big feeders. All right, so guys... Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site-wide discount at MoultrieFeeders.com. Use code Mossy Oak with a capital M, Mossy Oak, at MoultrieFeeders.com and get that 15% discount. Mackie, raising your hand, you got something to add? Yeah, to uh, to shoot all those does and to keep that number in check, are you designating areas like destination food pots to not shoot does or are you shooting them? Literally everywhere and any chance you get. We shoot them anywhere and any chance we get, but most of us are bow hunters. Uh, I I don't really like to pull the rifle out, uh, but you absolutely have to, if you're going to try to kill between, Mm -hmm. you know, three different clubs and, you know, say 15 to 20 different guys. If you're trying to kill 137 a year, uh, you got to bust the rifles out. I was fortunate this bow season. I went, uh, I went 23, uh, hunts where I killed 23 deer. Wow. And that was just, that's, that's been my best year ever. Two of them were, yeah, that's uh, some horns on that one for sure. Yeah. Two of them were, uh, a six and a half year old and a seven and a half year old Pope and Young's. Wow. Uh, uh, both, both my top target bucks. So it's not that I, it's not like I don't like hunting for bucks. I do. I like, (laughs) this is why we do it. And we've noticed a big change ever since we've started knocking these uh, deer down. Our densities have dropped tremendously, and we're hoping now that we have three years behind us that uh, these upcoming years are going to be more more maintenance rather than catch up. Have you noticed that your bucks move more during the rut than they used to? Absolutely. They move more. Uh, they're more susceptible to calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called. I called uh, the one that um, the second one that I killed. He was a big eight pointer and just huge bases. Just such a beautiful deer. Uh, I called him in using a bleat, and that's one of my go to calls. You know, we're talking about rattling, mm-hmm. talking about using grunts. I I use a bleat first and foremost. Uh, that seems to work wonders for me. So what do you think you're simulating there? A doe that's that's like. Super hot, and she's like, "Come find, come, where are you? Come find me." What, what's going on there with a bleat? That and you're just telling them that hey, there's a doe over here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't hear does bleating much though. I hear I've heard I've heard well, a fawn get caught by a coyote and bleat. It's hard to hear. I mean, I have, but not much either. But I would imagine it's not something you hear very readily. You I mean you don't hear a lot of bucks grunt necessarily. 
certain times more. Certain times really yeah. Are. But you still can't hear that a long ways at all. Either. If you're so, listening, you can hear does grunting a lot. Very, you know, but much more, to, much more subtle than very but, subtle. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I'll add that, you know, all those D map does and such you're shooting with your bow. That's the best practice ever. Uh, oh, yes. You know, you pass up everything to shoot one or two bucks a year with your bow versus uh, being on a program where you're taking out does all the time, you know, shooting at real live targets. We were talking with Brody Swisher about that on yeah. a previous podcast. You want to become a fine-tuned archery mm-hmm. hunter? Yeah. You start trying to take out a lot of does. It, uh, well, the, the, you'll learn real quick, you know, how and when to draw back at the right time. And there's such and a thrill to kill a big deer with a bow, but the the greatest, I mean, you know, is running an arrow through one, a well placed shot, whatever it is. So I still get sweaty palms over drawing back on a doe. To I this get day. toe up on every one of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's still so much fun to just. You know, there's something about the archery side. It really is. You make a great point. Yeah. Because a lot of guys, if you're if you're not taking shots during the season and getting that practice in, uh, when the time comes, you may be you may be behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And if you got to kill 130 does, you better get on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. How many of these deer, duck, and arrow of the 23? Or how many? Sounds like none of them. Yeah. Did. Like, no. <laughs> I did miss one. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I aim for, uh, the heart every single time. There you go. And, and I, I pass up a lot of deer that are over 30 yards. I just don't take the chance. And I also don't take the chance at, uh, shooting them anything but broadside or slightly quartering away. I want to have that blood trail. Uh, I want to be able to get in and get out. I want to be surgical I don't want to put my scent everywhere. Uh, these are the same areas that we're killing our big bucks in. Um, both of these deer, uh, we killed does with our bow in these spots before we killed those bucks. So that was proof or just happenstance, but I like to think it's proof that we were in there and we got in and got out and uh, uh, knocked a few few off the off the list. Definitely well, proof. Sounds very disciplined in the way mm-hmm. they approach. Their no, no doubt about no it. No question. Yeah, well, I, 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 I bet like you it. don't shoot at a lot of cautious deer either. You know, that, that can, that can lead, especially in the South, you know, the way they try to duck the arrow and, uh, but you know, when they're cautious and sometimes the minute you pull the trigger on your bow, they're already running off. Yeah. And I'm big on scent control. Uh, I know that there's people that think it's silly and they don't, uh, they don't worry about it, but uh, my wife washes all of our clothes in scent control, including our towels and everything. And um, I'm, I couldn't be more thankful because that is one of the biggest reasons uh, why I'm successful. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, just hunt the wind. Well, I'd say 90% of the bucks that I've killed with a bow have come in downwind or pretty mm-hmm. close to downwind. <laughs> so I want that scent cone to be as small as possible. I know that you're not going to be able to eliminate human scent entirely, but you can you can drop that scent cone down uh substantially with with some good scent control. Uh, yeah, that's I, another thing. Yeah, how many times do you go seeing especially if there's not a a, a higher wind that's steady, if it's some, you know, the three to five mile an hour wind type thing, I, I can't tell you how many times I go and then exactly the direction where deer I know are coming from. And what in the world went on? Well, the wind, you know, thermals and it shifted. I mean, so as hard as you think you can just hunt the wind, you cannot. 
unless you never, you almost never go. Yeah, that's it true. happens, yeah. and especially morning hunts at daylight. Oh yeah, it's at least I have learned certain areas have a prevailing thermal until wind picks up. You know, but I mean to his point. You can't hunt the wind all the time. It's not going to happen. It's going to be different than you thought when you go in there. Yeah, I'm not the best yeah. at, at using scent control, but I I do think it has its merits. Like oh, for gosh. example, uh, if you wanted to go back and hunt that area the next day, um, you know, like you said, a, a deer can probably smell you if they try hard enough. But if you're using scent control, you're leaving less scent there. Uh, and if you were going to try to come back again, you know, uh, if the wind is right and all that, you can eat a sausage biscuit on the way to the stand, uh, and you're leaving your scent there for, for a deer may come back, you know, that night and smell where you were versus if you were using scent control, uh, they may not be able to smell that you were there. So I I think it kind of helps you for the next hunter. Or, or, you know, not to booger up a spot nearly as quickly. Yeah, and we're very, uh, we're very keen when it comes to pressure management. Uh, most of the, most of the big deer that we shoot uh, are on the the first or second or third sits that we have for them, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. that that makes you know making sure that you keep that pressure to a minimum uh, in any way, shape, or form, anything you can. I think that's really important. Everybody. That we've talked to, yeah, aspires to that. It has been very successful at Bohun. Everybody, I mean, that's just a given. The Furminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process: working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting from start to finish with a single implement. It's hassle-free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor. And the Furminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com. Hey guys, Dudley from Gamekeepers here. I want to tell you about the all-new Gunner Dog Bowl. It's designed for home and built for travel. It's customizable, leak-resistant, light on weight, solid on durability, and rust-proof. Like other Gunner products, they're made in Nashville and designed for everywhere. Sean, y'all got any turkeys over there? No, Bobby, <laughs> Bobby, here, here Bobby, we go, Sean. Bobby, I told you it was coming. <laughs> My favorite subject. Yeah, we uh, we we do pretty good. We uh, that's the number one game bird that we manage for, along with uh, northern bobwhite quail. Hmm. Oh um, no, our, you got Bobby from he hello. Just passed down. out over there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we actually, uh, my father, um, I guess it's been about 40, 40, 45 years now. Uh, he transformed our, uh, property, uh, from where we had, you know, maybe one or two coveys on the whole tract. Uh, now we have, uh, dozens. I think our last census was around 65 coveys and those are pure wild Birds. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. Wow. Sound the horns, Richard. No doubt. That, that, I mean, oh that's my conservation God. in action yeah, right there. That, so I guess y'all are familiar with the drip torch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen one. Yeah, I well, bet uh, so. Do you guys try to burn some during the growing season? Have you gotten to that point yet? You know, we we can stay on top of our areas pretty well um, on our rotation. 
Uh, now, there have been times in the past where we see a tract that is absolutely unproductive from a turkey uh, nesting and brooding standpoint that we will uh, we will have a later growing season burn uh, through that. And we'll actually go back four or five of us and we'll walk through it just to see if we burned up any turkey nests. We never have. Not once. Knock hmm. on wood. Wow. What about trapping? Nest predators. We trap. Yeah, we trap intensively. We have a hundred have a heart trap. So it's a, a, a live trap. Uh, and we, we have a hundred, I think we're up to 125 now, but, um, we, we keep them running year round. Uh, we, we bait them, uh, we rebate them, I should say, uh, once a month minimum and, uh, you know, 365 days, a hundred traps. Uh, what is that? 36,500 trap nights. Yeah. Uh, so we, we can stay on them pretty good, but that doesn't mean that we still don't have raccoons and possums all over the place. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Um, I'd like to know just a, a little more about what your place looks like. Um, and, uh, you know, at Flint River Plantation, uh, is that uplands or bottomlands or both? Uh, what kind of, pine, you know, pine versus hardwood, you know, all of that stuff. What What do you guys have over there? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Uh, it is comprised mainly, so we're just right on the Flint River. Uh, so we do get some nice big bottoms uh, that are just absolutely breathtaking, especially when a turkey is uh, moving across them. Um, and we and but most of our property are uplands. Uh, we do have uh, quite a few hardwood draws, um, which I feel like kind of hurts us a little bit from a from a quail and turkey production standpoint, because that's where a lot of those meso mammals like to hang out. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's mainly uplands. Uh, we got a lot of uh, mature uh, loblolly and uh, quite a bit of longleaf as well. We try to plant as much longleaf as we can. Uh, we don't really manage to make as much money on the timber as we can. We mainly manage for wildlife. So planting those large tracts of uh, long leaf, uh, and, you know, since it takes uh, much longer for them to grow, uh, it's, it's in our best interest and in the wildlife we manage it's in their best interest, but yeah, mainly upland, piney woods, uh, hardwood draws and, and decent sized bottoms. Excellent. These guys, it sounds like an incredible place. Well, it sounds like we need um, a field trip. And I, it does. Uh, <laughs> Come on. I'd, I'd love, love to have y'all. <laughs> I'd love to learn more about, about uh, how you guys benefit from the conservation easements. Um, That's what I was going to ask, Dudley. A lot of folks uh, can be scared of those because they're, you know, it, it, it may mean that you're not allowed to do this or not allowed to do that. Uh, but uh, it's keeping your, uh, family legacy uh i mean you're able to afford uh i assume your your tax rates are lower and things like that but uh you're keeping developments off of your property uh in uh am i going to mess up this word perpetuity perpetuity perpetuity, perpetuity. perpetuity. Yeah. yep that's exactly right. We we definitely get tax breaks. It does uh, lower the value of the land, um, naturally so, because it can't be developed. But that's what we're here to fight. Mm -hmm. We are here to keep wild lands wild. And uh, you'd be surprised in central Georgia, where we're located, uh, there's a lot of those wild lands left. And uh, we, we feel like it is our duty, um, especially from our ancestors' viewpoint, uh, where we need to make sure that that property doesn't become developed because the Flint river is just like most rivers. It's beautiful. Uh, it's, 
It's a uh, it's it's attractive to a lot of folks that want to come down. Um, we have uh, hundreds of tracks north of us where they have subdivided it into five acre lots, mm. and it's just um, it that's not what we want because we just can't manage wildlife on on subdivided tracks like that. No, um, and I guess uh, you know the the definition of rich can mean a lot of different things to people. Um, I think the, uh, the definition of rich of, of, uh, having a lot of land that's, that's not going to be covered in, in houses and buildings and pavement. Um, that's rich to me. Uh, so I, I have a feeling, and this may sound kind of weird, but you know, when, when you're up in age, uh, laying in bed and, and don't really, you know, may not have, but a year left, um, you're going to have a very, you're going to have a sense of fulfillment. Uh, and other people in your family. Um, I don't know if you can say that somebody that has developed a lot of pavement um, and and big buildings is going to have that much of a sense of fulfillment uh, in their version of being rich. That's very well said. I tell you what, I kind of got a little chill over you. here. I mean, it? you know. I mean, he speaks from the heart. He's right. Uh, yeah, I want a lot of people at my funeral someday, and so – that's kind of what I want to do, and I, I see what uh, – that's what you guys are trying to do as well is, is make a difference. I think Sean's crying if I'm not <laughs> <laughs> so. No, Dudley, on that point, a, uh, something that's really important to us uh, is, is giving back uh, more than we take. Uh, an example that just comes uh, off the top of my head is we, we also love waterfowl. And we uh, manage for wood ducks and we have 30 wood duck boxes. Nice. And over the course of 21 years that we've had these boxes, uh, we have successfully hatched around 4,000 wood ducks. Wow. And during that same amount of time, we've only taken around 500, 550, I think is what the number is, which according to my math, uh, that's for every wood duck we take, uh, we give nine back. And that to us is extremely uh, important and, and, and right at the right, – it's in our heart to do that. Hey, that's leaving it better than you found it. That that's is. what gamekeeping's all about. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. That's right. I'll tell you what, I like these folks. Yeah, man. They're good people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Bobby, you're still off <laughs> Here he goes, John. Here he comes. You're so transparent. <laughs> no, I'm not. He had to slip that turkey question in there, and then the whole thing changed. Yeah. No. He started smiling. Look at right. <laughs> I've been smiling the whole time looking forward to this. I've, uh, look, I've been a fan for a long time. Been, you know, well, there's a saying we have, you know, when every now and then you run into people that just, quote, unquote, get it. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say that absolutely applies here. Yeah, in seven generations. That's just and so, so rare to find. I, I do want to say this because sometimes I worry that, and we talk to people that are – have the resources in the place and are so successful at it that maybe some other people gloss over. I can't compete. I can't do that. I mean, you know, in my point, listening to him all day, I thought this from the moment he said like the DMAP program and how disciplined they are about that. It's like, even if you don't, you can aspire to the, all the same things he's talking about yourself in your own way and still have a great life with it and have a great property and great reserve results through your gamekeeping. You don't have to measure up to anybody else, quite honestly. The biggest thing, I mean, a lot of us are just listening to details about what he's saying and learning from him. But the one thing everybody should listen to is the intentions there because Mm -hmm. that's the key 
to having a great life as a gamekeeper is listening because they have – I mean, he's having as much or more fun with the process. They can't wait to make their monthly list. Yeah. They're having as much or more fun with the process than they are the killing. Yeah. And that's when you get there. So well, I would just encourage everybody that listens to pay attention to that word, the intentions of people that are successful in this. And, and then do it at your own pace. They're disciplined enough to get oh, it done. Oh, absolutely, too, so. yeah. It's a long-term thing. You know, it just is. And I think the reason they've – he's obviously been taught by his family uh, and, and everybody before him and instilled in him those those long-term, you know, management characteristics. So, But he'll never be bored with life. No, he sure won't. <laughs> Ever. Because I, I said this the other day, and it doesn't matter if you have a small track. It's, again, if you have a list – I was – you know, illustrating it. So like if you have a list of this many things, so maybe there's 10 on a list. It's like, I guarantee you by the time you get those done, it'll become 20 things or 15 (laughs) things. And if you get those 15 things done, it'll always grow more than, than you originally. Because the more you do, the more you see that you need to do, or you find things that you want to do and it never gets old. And to that point, Toxie, we we uh, we surround ourselves with uh, quite a few wildlife biologists. Uh, we're big readers. We love uh, a, a publication called Wildlife Trends. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. They Absolutely. they are the ones that got us onto that monthly list and the timeline. Um, we you know I I highly recommend anybody listening to this podcast to 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 hire a consultant um, to work with a wildlife biologist. These are the guys that will take you from uh, point A to point B. And uh, you know this isn't anything that um, you know that that I can just learn myself. I mean I can listen to podcasts like I do all the time, and and I can uh, you know uh, digest material and and. But at the end of the day, our biologists that we are surrounded with, uh, those those are the guys that get the credit. Uh, no question about it. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and probably today, as we sit today, people have access to more people like what he's describing that can help than ever before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, those are good points. So, Sean, you ever watch our television show? I do. I wish you would have asked me the trivia question you asked Caroline a couple of weeks ago because I, I was sitting in my car and I was like, "Oh, I, I got that one right." <laughs> we got a trivia question for you. Oh, don't so, worry about yeah, Bobby. Yeah. He's going to. Oh. If he knew it was easy, he wouldn't ask you. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, this. Look, before we move on, what, is there anything else uh, around the gamekeeping? I've got one other thing I'd like to point out. I've had a guy tell me that his secret here in the South to finding sheds around some of his food plots he'll identify like a sweet gum he wants to get rid of and as the deer season winds down he'll drop it in the plot and just leave it out there so his clover's still going and still going and he'll end up so during the summer he'll go in there and cut that up and he he told me just every time there'll be a one or two antlers in that treetop where the deer were trying to get to that clover that couldn't be browsed uh, oh, and hit him on the hit him and, and knock that switch on. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Yeah. And and he said that you know the, he's getting rid of the trees he wants to get rid of <laughs> doing that. So I, I thought that was an interesting. Have you ever heard of anybody doing that, Sean? I have not. That's what I'm uh, saying. I know, bet not. No, it's just a unique. It makes tip, a lot of sense. You know? Oh, rat trap! If you listen to this pipe, what a unique. It's almost tip. like a little exclusion cage. So the the clover, you know, you have all those branches and things falling over. The deer end up eating all the clover around it, and then they're like, "Oh man, there's a yeah. six foot, six inch tall clover in this treetop. 
then they go to get that and get their antlers hung up. Yeah. It's kind of so, like a lot of things. It sounds great to you have to go in back in and clean it up. I do hate a sweet gum now. I'm going to. And I do it. hate a chainsaw in the summertime. Yeah, so. It is. It is. So, look, why don't we spin this around? So, Sean, you better put your thinking cap on. You Here we go, good, baby. You got a good cap on right now. Today's trivia is brought to you by Sheffield Financial. Fuel your GameKeeper projects with financing for power sports, outdoor power equipment, and trailers. Begin your next conservation adventure at SheffieldFinancial.com. All right. So, Sean, you're playing for Brian 2.0, and the prize Ooh. is a brand-new GameKeeper cat. That we just got in, and yeah, a a cat? Cat? we're gonna give the warehouse cat away. Yeah, a cap. Oh cap. my bad. <laughs> so here it is, guys. We just got these in. That's a good looking cap. And they can you can go to the gamekeeper. Where can you go, Mac? If you want gamekeeper shop, gamekeeper shop dot com. Yes, yeah, so we have the merch. These are so. I like the muted colors in the, uh, yeah. the crest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that on purpose. That you way, know? I don't have to <laughs> rub the front of my hat in mud That's next turkey did. season. Yep. Sean, I'm gonna send you one of those. So if you're not Sounds Brian great. 2.0, this would be a great hat for spring. Yeah, Brian, <laughs> you got a chance to get one. Yep. All right, Sean, here we go. All right, so today's question is about identifying a bird. Mm. We're going to play some sounds. For hey, he rolled All his right. eyes. <laughs> That's his weakness. Good. <laughs> We're doing audio? All right. Mm. All right, no, but before you give a guess, we've got some. We we can we can narrow it down. Yeah, for yeah. You. Hell okay. yeah. Let, let Mike narrow it down a little bit. All right. So Bobby wrote this like it was on National Geographic. So <laughs> if I stumble through this, please forgive me. Superbly camouflaged against the leaf litter, the brown molted blank walks slowly along the forest floor. Probably the soul with its long probing. probing the soul with its with its long bill in search of earthworms. Unlike its coastal relatives, this plump little shorebird lives in young forest and shrubby old fields across eastern North America. So he's ground dwelling. He's very camouflaged. Got a probing kind of a bill. Yeah. Very camouflaged. Sounds like a frog. Uh, I'd say either a sniper or a woodcock. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Hey, American woodcock. There it is. Yeah. Dudley, you just returned from a trip and you said that they were everywhere. Yeah. So we were headed home from Arkansas, um, you know, last weekend uh, and roads were starting to ice up. This monstrous front was coming through. Uh, geese everywhere, every kind of species you can imagine. But uh, we started looking closely and... I honestly don't know if it was sniper woodcock. I'm I'm leaning towards woodcock. But I mean even in people's yards there'd be like 40 of them hanging out and then you would drive a mile down the road and look out in an ag field and there'd be just a ton of them. They're quite just, tasty too. And uh you know probing very, into the ground. Very very tasty. And uh anyway, I I need to get somebody to help me ID them. But I think they're woodcock. It's an interesting bird. So, uh, did y'all know that sound that he made? Mm-hmm. I have heard it. Yes. You heard that? I have heard it, but I didn't realize that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So, you learned something. I did learn something today, yeah. Bobby. Thank you. How about that? <laughs> Mac, it's probing, not probbing. Got you. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that later. <laughs> he probably thought you misspelled probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sean, we've really enjoyed having you. Absolutely. We're real impressed with what you're doing. Is there anything you, you, you want to, that we didn't cover that, that you'd like to make sure we point out about what y'all are doing? 
Man, uh, you know, for me, what's big is uh, is record keeping and data collection. Mm. I do it with everything from uh, waterfowl to turkey to sheds and uh, DMAP, everything in between. Uh, you know, a lot of times you hear guys that say, hey, I need to do this or I need to do that. And if they would have kept some records, I think that uh, that would have made a big difference in uh, figuring out exactly what they need to do. And with sheds, back to sheds for a minute, uh, that's one of the main reasons I know to start looking uh, around February 15th. Uh, that's where where we find or the time when we start finding a lot of our sheds. I keep uh, game cameras going year round and I make sure that uh, we don't go in there too early. And once I see that we have about 75 percent of bucks that have dropped their antlers, I I, I swoop in and I bring my kids with me every chance I can. Uh, my son, Julian, just absolutely loves looking for antlers. Uh, I post probably one video too many every year uh, with him finding them, but it just uh, it does my heart good. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm big into uh, data collection and record keeping. I've got all sorts of different types of spreadsheets. Do you keep observation data or just harvest data? I do it all, yeah. observation as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. You know, you could take a Sharpie and write on a shed. The day you found it, yeah, uh, where you found right. it, and then, then you've got that information. Put it in your filing, yeah, and it doesn't. Well, you set it where you can go back and look <laughs> at I'm, it. Later. I'm trying to think of you know out of all my management and biologist heroes, um, that's one thing that they all have in common is they're obsessive about collecting data, collection. And, data. And, yeah. data, 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 yeah. management, uh, data. Yep, something I'm not very good at, nope. but uh, I'm going to try better. I was going to say my word that comes to mind for listening to his whole story today is in inspiration, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. I, the, the, I look, appreciate that. The, 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 you know, the things that we have preached for so long, you know, we've mm-hmm. uh, through our magazine, now through the podcast, through our television show, These are the, he's putting a lot of this stuff into practice. I was going to say, yeah, practice. He practices it, what it, is preached. Conservation yeah. in action. He, no he's about out there doing the things yep. that we try yep. to shine a light on. And, and doing it as a weekend warrior at that. And you, you've got a full-time job, um, and then you're managing this, this big farm with, with your family members on the side. Uh, and that's your release. That's your fun. I bet y'all can't wait to get down there every that's weekend. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> We're chomping at the bit. I bet so. That's I awesome. can't wait to get down there. I know you yeah. can't. I knew it was coming, Sean. Yeah. I knew it was coming. Was that? Did you just invite yourself? <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I may have heard that. Yeah. Well, look, we we've enjoyed it. Is there anything else we need to cover before we get out of here today? Uh, you know Chuck Lavelle? I don't. I I know of him. Okay. But I don't know him personally. His place um, is in Georgia, somewhere around Macon, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, he's got a place. It's near Macon. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that, Dudley, because uh, that's what I used to do uh, for 10 years. I'm I'm a guitar player through and through. And wow. my brother uh, and I have been in bands and we were in a pretty serious band uh, for five years uh, called Sound Culture. And we played rock shows. We played big festivals like Sweetwater 420 Festival oh, here yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I've been to music. that one. I think I've been to I've that been one. I've been to too. Sweetwater. Hey, I mean, yeah. can I be your agent to go see Dos Equis and do a commercial for him? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> you kind of look like a rock and roll kind of guy. <laughs> oh, man. We had fun. But when I had my second, my second uh, kid, it, it uh, it's, it's, it's not really the life for for a, a, a one and a three year old at the time. I can uh, imagine. It was 
it was difficult and uh just happened to be that our lead singer uh, uh moved out to salt lake city and uh, he got a job he was an architect and he got a, a once in a lifetime job out there so we all kind of just uh gave gave each other a big hug and um said hey you know hopefully this is just a hiatus and uh we'll we'll uh we'll get back to playing music again someday and we still all see each other several times a year so we keep the music flowing but um cool. we don't play live shows anymore wow very cool what a great story yeah absolutely man it's been a rough week i hope uh you know it, we just heard stories about people's with pipes bursting all mm-hmm. across the south and we're not used to this kind of weather no actually uh-huh. been some fatalities from the cold weather so my mm. prayers out to people that are struggling with these. I'm, it's I'm, rough. No doubt about it. I'm praying for all those pets. That, yeah, take that care of your pets. Inhumane people uh, leave their pets outside in weather like this. Mm. It makes me sick. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it does. So, Mac, you got anything to add? Richie, you hadn't heard from you today. You got, it, you got anything to add to what we're going on that will enhance the program? <laughs> uh, enhance? I, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Well, guys, the winter issue is in the it, – it probably is in your mailbox right now. All right. Uh, I should have said that a couple of weeks ago, but I'm looking at one right now, and it's got this great big buck standing in Imagine some, that, some, a uh, big buck on the soybeans. So that's a, that's a good one. So you can go to Tractor. If you don't have it, you can go to Tractor Supply, Walmart, and pick that thing up. So – Sean, we enjoyed having you. Yeah, here, thanks here. for being uh, here. Flint River Plantation. They, you can follow you on Instagram at Flint River Plantation. And um, man, it's a, it's really interesting what you guys do. Yeah, it is. I sure do appreciate it, guys. I'm happy to be here and definitely appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. Thanks for your time and uh, for your inspiration. No doubt also. about it. Yeah, I'm wearing that 100%. bottomland hat. I'm I like telling that. You. That's, uh, That's right. <laughs> well, we see a lot of bottom land on his pages over there. So we need to hang out sometime. We don't have to come to your place, but we he may be Bobby too busy there. to come see <laughs> us. Yeah. If you if you go to the NWTF, come see us. Yeah. You know, I was I was planning on making the trip over there, but with uh, all this weather, it just it it was too risky. Uh, who knows if I would have gotten stranded somewhere or whatnot? But uh, sure, would have loved to meet you guys in in person. Uh, I listened to every single one of the Gamekeeper podcasts, and well, to Toxie's point earlier, uh, I this is this is you guys are the ones that um, got me to this point. And I share your episodes all the time, uh, especially with my dad and with our farm managers, uh, making sure we're all on the same page. And uh, you guys just keep keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I'm I, I just I'm so thankful for uh, media outlets and folks like you guys. So thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And that might be the nicest thing anybody's ever said. To it us. does. Very, <laughs> that means a lot to us, Sean. We appreciate it. Guys, uh, looking around, if nobody else has anything to say, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Thanks, Sean. And goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.